Amen. All right. Let's take our Bibles this evening. Let's go to Galatians 5. All right. Galatians chapter 5 is where we'll be tonight. And of course, we're still in verse 22 and 23 as we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit. But we've been looking at this as we've been considering this main verse and phrase found in verse 16 of Galatians 5 where it says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And Paul's just trying to simply help these um, Galatian believers to know how to avoid the hindrances that come our way, and this is the main one, by walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. And as we've been considering this phrase and considering this verse of walking in the Spirit, we noticed it was and is a command, not a suggestion, not be debated. It is a simple command. We must all walk in the Spirit, not just when we come to church either. This is day in, day out, every single day. As believers, we should walk in the Spirit. But we notice there's also a conflict. There's a conflict between the sinful nature we're born with, that is the flesh, and the Holy Spirit we're sealed by. There's a conflict, and every born-again believer has this conflict. And so sometimes it can be very difficult to walk in the Spirit. Even Paul, the apostle, the great missionary, preacher that we know and love, the apostle Paul struggled with the flesh in Romans chapter number 7. But still, the command is, is, remains. It's still the same. We are to walk in the Spirit, but there is a conflict. Then we began to see this. We began to see the crop or the cluster of fruit that comes from walking in the Spirit. And we've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit for some time, several Wednesdays now. And I actually look back when we started looking through the book of Galatians today. And we started looking through the book of Galatians May of last year. So it's almost been, almost been a year to go through six chapters of, of the Bible. All right, so bear with me. If you don't like it, forgive me. All right, but I think it's important to take our time and study the Word of God together, okay? And so, uh, but anyway, so we're still looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And no, it's not taking us a year to get through that part, just, <laughs> just the book itself. But the fruit of the Spirit. Now, as we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, we're looking at verse number 22, and let's read it together. All right, the Bible says, Galatians 5 and verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one Another. Father, I pray as we look at your word again this evening that you'd help us. Help us have listening ears. Help us to pay attention to really grasp what you have for us so as we consider the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to study the word of God and to know we can walk in the Spirit and have these traits of fruit come from our lives. But we know it's not us, but it's truly you working in us and through us for your honor and for your glory. Help us, we pray tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, as we begin to dive in this cluster of fruit here, the fruit of the Spirit, we've already taken note of some of them, all right? And we've taken note of love. And again, by way of remembrance, just going to jog your memory on, on the, the ones we've gone through so far, but I'll do it quickly. 
Well, we looked at love, and remember love, uh, the fruit of love is an outgrowth of the fruit of the Spirit, right? So you see everything fl- flows from this element, this deep, rich, fertile ground of love and of God's love. And remember, this love is not a sinful love portrayed by the world, but rather it's a true love that's been portrayed by Jesus himself. Therefore, this love we're talking about is a holy love, godly love. It's God's love. It's a selfless love. It's a one-way love expecting nothing in return. It's the highest form of love anyone could ever give or receive, and it's God's love for you and me. It's amazing when you stop to think about it. Every time when I think of it, it just amazes me. Because neither one of us, none of us here deserve this such love from our great God. Yet he does. And then we began to see this one. We saw joy. And remember, this is not the exact same level as happiness. They're not exclusively different, but they're not entirely the same at all. You see, you see, happiness is based off of happenings. It's based off circumstances around us. That's happiness's foundation. But joy is different. Because joy has a different foundation. And that foundation is what? Church starts with a J, ends with an Jesus, and therefore it is Jesus. That's right. Uh, Foundation is different. Our joy is found in the Lord. That's why Paul told the Philippian believers to rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. So joy is different. Why? It has a different foundation. And since it's founded in Christ, we can always find and have joy, especially as we walk in the Spirit. Then we saw peace. And peace is something everyone craves in their lives, and yet seems so many are missing. And why are they missing it, though? Because we know people all around, even believers today, are trying to find it in many different places in other areas other than Jesus himself. And here's what the Bible says. Jesus said it actually in John 16, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So you want peace? You ain't going to find it in the world. But you'll find it at the foot of Jesus Christ. You'll find it in Him. And then we begin to see this one, long-suffering. That's another element of the fruit of the Spirit. And be reminded what this means. Long-suffering means this. It's in the Word. It means to suffer long. It means to endure. It means to, to be one who exhibits constancy, to be steadfast, to persevere. And any believer who is walking in the Spirit will render this characteristic. They'll be more than just patient. They will be long-suffering. Then we saw gentleness. Now, gentleness, for some people get the idea that gentleness means being soft or being wimpy or being a pushover or something uh, like that. But that is not what gentleness is at all. Remember, we looked at the man David, a mighty warrior for the Lord, but he was no pushover at all. He killed a giant. He killed, a, he killed a lion and a, and a bear with his bare hands, pun intended, all right? But he killed a lion and a bear. He is no sissy, but yet he was a gentle man. Gentle man. He showed the kindness of God to Mephibosheth. He was a gentle man. So gentleness in its simple form is this, showing kindness, especially when it's in your power not to. And then we saw goodness. What is goodness? It is uprightness of heart and life. It is that which is characteristically good in itself, and because of that, it will be beneficial in its effect. Meaning, goodness is an action from you 
two others. And we took note from the man Barnabas as we considered this trait of the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because the Bible says about Barnabas, he was a good man, Acts eleven twenty four. So he showed goodness. But he showed goodness of God to Paul. He showed the goodness of God to the Christians at Antioch. He was a good man. And if any goodness comes out of our life, we know it's not us. Because Paul even said, uh, in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Therefore, if any goodness comes out as we walk in the Spirit, it's the Lord in us. It's the Lord working in our lives and through our lives. That's where the goodness, kindness comes from. Then we saw, we saw faith. And what is faith? Well, the Bible defines it for us in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So, simply put, faith is the act or attitude of believing trust. It's the act or attitude of believing trust. And be reminded, as we saw last Wednesday, that we understood that we operate by faith every single day without even thinking about it. But what makes the difference between everyday faith and a faith that would save us and sanctify us? It's the object. That makes all the difference when it, comes, when it comes to faith. And again, I like what John Phillips said, uh, so much so I think it bears to be repeated. But he said this, Our everyday ordinary faith becomes saving, securing, and sanctifying faith when it is placed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the object of faith makes all the difference. Our, listen, our faith when it's misplaced can lead to disaster but when it's placed in Jesus, all things are possible to him that believeth. So I want to encourage you once again to let Jesus be the object of your faith every single day. Why? Why can we, why can we put him as our, our object of our faith? Because you can trust him. That's why. Trust the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to own understanding. So we saw faith last time and today... The eighth element we're going to consider is this one, number eight, meekness. Meekness. Now, what is meekness? What does it mean to be meek? Again, some folks get the wrong idea about meekness. They would try to equate meekness with this, weakness, and that ain't it. Uh, some would equate it with someone who is feeble. He's really meek. He's just meek and feeble, you know, or maybe they'll think somebody's just, just fragile. She's just so meek. She just seems so fragile. Or someone who's just timid or maybe sheepish, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, some even suggest that a meek person is someone who's unable to defend themselves. Uh, someone who is easily thrown around or taken advantage of because that's what happens to meek people, right? But that is not meekness at all. I promise you. That's not what it means. That is not the biblical meaning of meekness. Do you know who the Bible says is one of the meekest men to ever put their foot upon the earth in the Old Testament? You know who it is? Starts with the M. Moses. Moses was one of the meekest men to ever, ever walk the earth. The Bible says in Numbers 12 and verse number 3, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Uh, so this tells us that Moses was the meekest man in, at least at that time, in the Old Testament. I would say, I dare say, in all of Scripture. Of course, Jesus would be the, the meekest of all. 
but as we study the Old Testament scriptures and we consider Moses, we find out a lot about him. Yes, he was the meekest man. But there's a lot of the things we find out and learn about Moses and from his, from his life. Early on, when you read about him, you'll find out that he was raised in the classroom and customs of the Egyptians. The Bible says in Acts 7.22, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was a mighty in words and deeds. That word mighty there, by the way, is uh, dunatos. And it gets, it's from the, the root word dunamai, where we get our word dynamite. All right? But it simply means that he was powerful, that he was strong, he was very able, he was a mighty man. He was mighty in the words and deeds of the Egyptians. And listen, the Egyptians in their culture, they would never teach their people to be weak ever. They didn't teach them that. They never taught them to be weak. They were actually quite harsh and pretty harsh and cruel, cruel people, especially those that would be in leadership. They'd be very cruel individuals. And we know Moses was being raised to be the, a, a leader in Egypt. And we know that. Why? Because he was the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. And because of this, because he was adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, he would one day, potentially, he would potentially could sit upon the very throne of Egypt being a grandson of Pharaoh. But the Bible says this in Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had he had respect under the recompense of the reward, meaning he could have had all the riches in Egypt. Why? Because he was a grandson of Pharaoh, but he refused all of it. Listen, he, he knew what it meant to be strong. He was trained to be strong. He was not weak. We also know at one point as you continue to look into his life that Moses, as he saw an Egyptian guard, a taskmaster, uh, uh, hurting one of his brethren, one of the Hebrews, what did he do? He went over there and took care of business. And he, he killed that man with his own bare hands and buried him in the sand. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 through 12, And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way, he looked that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, that does not sound like a weak man to me. For a man who would take down an Egyptian taskmaster with his own hands and then bury his body in the sand, I would think that's not a weak fella at all. But because of this, as you read on his life, we know he had to go on the run. They were seeking after him. And as he went on as a fugitive from Egypt, he came to a well for a drink of water, and it was there he noticed some shepherds who were bullying the daughters of the priest of Midian. He stood up for these women and against those shepherds. And the Bible says this, Exodus chapter 2, verse 16 through 17, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their, their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. So as you consider Moses, especially early on in his first 40 years of his life, does it sound like to you that Moses 
was a man who was weak or who was feeble or who was timid or a, that's a very sheepish in, individual or someone who's unable to defend himself. He's very fragile, you know. Does that sound like Moses to you? Not to me. He sounds like a man's man, if you ask me. A very strong individual. So listen, someone who is meek does not mean they are weak. Rather, it's quite, quite opposite. You see, meekness is this. It is someone who has the right use of power. It is someone who has the correct use of authority and has all of that under control. You see, a meek person will not be the loudest one in the room. And by the way, it's always the quiet ones that scare me, okay? Yeah, if you ever, um, you're Christians, you don't fight. I know that. But if you ever got into a fight, the one that's always yapping like a chihuahua, you don't worry about them. But it's the ones that's sitting quiet with a smile on their face that's about to enjoy what they're about to do. That's the ones that, you know, a little worrisome, you know. Uh, but meekness is not weakness. It is someone who has all this strength under control. That's what it is in a nutshell. Meekness is strength under control. And that was Moses. That was Moses. Especially as you continue to look at his life, especially as 40 years in Egypt, 40 years the backside of the desert, and then 40 years leading the people of God out of Egypt to the edge of the promised land. It's during that time period you really see the meekness of the man Moses, especially as he's leading these people. Leading these people who were always complaining. Leading these people who were always murmuring. Leading these people who were always backbiting. And I'm just going to tell you, as you, as you look at what they did, they were just downright malicious individuals but for 40 years he put up with this and led them to the edge of the promised land and to accomplish that task for 40 years to lead these people who were full of that kind of uh, maliciousness it would take a very strong leader don't you think but also someone who's very meek and that was Moses that was Moses because, listen, for the most of the people, I say dare, the vast majority of people that would lead these people, yeah, they're going to stay on the other side of the Red Sea. Forget them, all right? But not Moses. Why? He was meek, strong and meek, meek leader. He had his strength under control, especially, listen, here's where he got that strength under control, by the way, as he submitted himself to God. And his will. That's how he found the strength and can get it under control as he submitted himself to God. So Moses was not weak whatsoever. He was very strong. He was very meek. And you can see that as you look at his life. And the first 40 years being in Egypt. And in the second 40 years being on the backside of the desert. And the last 40 as he's leading these people. You can see it. But there's one instance Really in the context of Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3 when, when the Lord says he was a meek man. In that context, you really see the meekness of Moses because he's dealing with family and even his siblings. The Bible says this in Numbers chapter 12 and verse number 1. 
Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now we know Miriam and Aaron was his siblings. Miriam his sister, Aaron his, his brother. But they were speaking out against Moses. Why? Because of his wife. Now husbands, let me ask you a question. What would you do if someone speaks blatantly ill of your family? And if someone verbally, especially verbally attacks your family, and especially your wife, the very mother of your children, what would you do? I'd say, I'm not going to let you answer. (laughs) I'd say for the most of husbands, at the very least, They wouldn't take it sitting down. At the very most, that big mouth individual is about to eat all 32 teeth he's talking with, if you know what I'm saying, you know, Uh, because you don't do that. That's my wife. That's the mother of my children. You keep your words to yourself, and you don't talk bad about her. Uh, But what happened? And that's not what Moses did, obviously. But what did he do? What happened after they started speaking ill, after they started speaking out and speaking against Moses because of his wife? Well, Moses didn't react like many people would or even like he did with the Egyptian guard back in Egypt. Rather, we see Moses imitate a Christ-likeness in his response and character. And we see the Lord intervene. On Moses' behalf, I want to read it to you. But the Bible says in Numbers chapter 12, after Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses, the Bible says, Numbers 12, verse 3 through 11, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses, and unto Aaron, and unto Miriam, Come out, ye three, under the tabernacle of the congregation. And they came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron, Miriam, and they both came forth. You can put in the margin of your Bible, ooh, they in trouble now, all right? You get out here, y'all. I'm sure your parents never said that to you as you're fighting with your siblings. No, no, never, never, right? But they're in trouble now, the Bible goes on to say. And he said, that's the Lord, hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses, listen to this, it's so precious. My servant Moses is not so who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, meaning face to face. He's not going to speak to him like he would a prophet in a vision or a dream. No, no, no. He loves and cares for Moses so tenderly. It's face-to-face communion with God. He goes on to say this. Even apparently and not in the dark speeches in the similitude of a Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then, were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord was kindled against him, and he departed. And a cloud departed from off the tabernacle. And behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not this sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. Understand, in this moment, Moses, after they talked bad about his wife, and really talked bad about Moses himself, Moses could have lashed out and defended himself and beat his siblings to a pulp. He's done it before, he could do it again. Because he's a strong individual. 
He could have, could have done that, but he would have been wrong. So Moses, being the meek man that he is, submit himself to the Lord and allow God to handle the situation. And of course, God did handle the situation. What I'm trying to tell you this evening is this. Moses is a great example of meekness and how he submitted himself to God and did the will of God and let God handle these situations. Now, I said he's a great example. I didn't say perfect. Because maybe some of you are thinking, well, what about that time when he spake unadvisedly with his lips, as the Bible says in Psalm 106, verse 33. And uh, he went to the rock. When the Lord told him to speak to the rock, and he smote it twice with the rod, uh, he kind of lashed out in anger then, didn't he? It didn't seem so meek then. Well, you'd be right. You see, one of his greatest things he failed at in that moment, a moment of weakness, but still, he is a great example. If, that, if you only mess up once in 40 years of leading people for the Lord, I'd say that's pretty good, all right? He's a great example. Though we know the greatest of all examples is Lord Jesus Christ. He's the perfect example of the meekest man to ever exist. And again, as we think of the fruit of the Spirit, we're talking about the character of God. This is, this is who God is right here. He is meek. And even Jesus said that about himself. It's said about him several times in Scripture. But he said this. For sake of time, I'll read this one to you. In Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30, Come unto me, Jesus speaking, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Why? For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And Jesus was saying he was meek, he was gentle, he's mild. He was lowly, literally, that is, not rising far from the ground. That's what it means. He's lowly. It sounds like he's very humble and meek because that's all tied together, goes hand in hand. But he said this way, meek and lowly in heart, meaning in the very centrality of his being, Jesus is meek. And no one would ever dare say he was weak, ever. For the very man, Jesus himself, the Bible says he has all power in heaven and in earth. He is God. He has all power. He even said to the sea that was very tempestuous, as the Bible says, that was raging against the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. They feared for their very life. He stood up from his sleep and he said, Peace be still. And immediately the sea was glass. He cast out demons and devils. They feared and quaked in their very shoes and at that time sandals as they were standing before the very Son of God. They knew who he was. Jesus who as they came to arrest him, thereafter the praying in the garden of Gethsemane, and the, the, uh, the uh, Roman soldiers came, they said, Jesus said to them, Who seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And what did he say? The Bible says, I am he. And what happened? They all fell backwards. Some 600 Roman soldiers who were trained to kill people fell flat on their backs at the very voice of God. Um, he's not weak. No, no. He has all power, yet our God is so meek and lowly and allows us to come to him. It's amazing. It amazes me every time to even think, think about it because he allows us to come to him. 
So understand this evening, our time is quickly leaving us, but understand this evening when it comes to meekness, that does not mean you're weak. If you're meek, that means you're like the Lord. That's a good thing to be like. Meekness is strength under control. Meekness is being like the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. And as we walk in the Spirit, this is another trait, this is another element that should flow from our lives. Being meek. Yeah, sure, somebody might get under your skin and you could whoop them right there. Sure you could. But that don't sound very meek to me. But it sounds meek to me when you could do that, but yet you submit yourself to God and His Word and you allow the Lord to deal with those individuals. That's meekness. Strength under control. God help us to be those type of people. To have this element of the fruit of the Spirit to come and flow out of our very lives so others can see it. And see our response to them that they're not used to. and Maybe they'll think something's different about you. They'll think something's different about you anyway, but in a good way. <laughs> and maybe it whet their appetite to know the same God, you know. And to walk in the same spirit that you're walking. God help.